Good evening. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Doug. Uh, my wife Laura and I live in Exeter. We have lived here for about five and a half years, been part of Network Church for that time. And we live there with uh, our three guinea pigs, which is very important information to some people. Uh, yeah, we're continuing our series uh, through John's Gospel. Uh, John, one of Jesus' friends who knew him really well and wrote his account of, of what he experienced when he was with Jesus. And what has really struck me as we've been going through this series is the different themes that John is weaving in, through his gospel. And he's trying to, find, trying to show us different things and different elements. And it's, it's really, really exciting. And the, the thing that I feel that John highlighted to me, or I felt like that, that God was highlighting to me in this passage, was the question... Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? Do you trust him when things are good, but not when things are bad? Do you trust him all the time? Or do you trust him most of the time, but there's just something I just can't trust Jesus over? Or do you trust him fully? And, and John 6, as, as, we, as uh, Adam just read, is, might be quite a familiar passage to, to most of us. In fact, it's probably one of the most famous stories ever told. Even if you weren't brought up a Christian, you, you might have just heard in an RE lesson or, or something that actually, uh, yeah, I heard once that Jesus once fed 5,000 people from uh, like five pieces of bread and two fish. And that Jesus has brought something small and he makes something amazing from it. And it's such an important story that it's in all four of the Gospels. So in Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, all four of them make a, an account of the feeding of the 5,000. They all clearly think it's important because mo most stories that they have are not shared across them. So they clearly think this is something that matters. And they all bring something different to the table, give us a rich understanding of it. But this question is something that I feel that John's, uh, John's account specifically brings up. Do I trust him? Do I trust him? And so we're going to do, uh, I'm going to take a few minutes and we're going to look through three characters in this story. And we're going to ask him and we're going to look and see if we identify with them. So we're going to look at the crowd, we're going to look at the disciples, the apostles, and we're going to look at the boy. So starting with the crowd. Spoiler alert, they don't trust Jesus. So as I said, this passage is in all four Gospels. And John draws our attention to something that the other authors miss out. And that's in verse 4. The Jewish Passover was near. Now, what John is trying to get you to see there, or trying to put on your mind, is the story of Exodus. The story of Exodus is the foundation myth for the Jewish people. Essentially, they were slaves in Egypt. And uh, they were rescued by God from their slavery through a guy called Moses. He, they went through the Red Sea uh, and into the wilderness and on their way to the promised land. And they were a grumbly lot. They, they got to the wilderness and they just go, oh, why did God take us out of the wilderness? Oh, 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 we were slaves back in Egypt, but at least we had something to drink. At least we had something to eat. And they whine and they whine and they whine. But God is good, and God provides for them, and he provides water, and he provides food. And the bread that he provides is, is manna, and they would come out every morning, and they would gather manna from the, uh, from the, uh, from the floor, and they'd come and eat it. The great uh, Welsh hymn, Bread of Heaven, that's what it's talking about, this manna that comes and provides. And so um, they have this, and, and the, the people of, of Israel are thinking about 
this story too, because actually there's a promise in the Exodus story of someone like Moses who's going to be better than Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, uh, Deuteronomy is one of the books around Exodus. It says, uh, the Lord says, I will raise up for them a prophet like Moses. From among their fellow Israelites, I will put my words in his mouth. And so the crowd are like, this is the guy. This is the guy. And they're right. He is the guy. But they kind of miss the point. Because, but I get the feeling of desperation for a savior. Because when I look at the news, most of the time I can't really stomach the news. I barely manage BBC Sport. But that, but there... But the world is seriously messed up, right? There's so much badness, and it's just like, oh, I cannot take this. And, and, And the Israelites get this too. The Jewish people get that too, because they're like, we are under oppression by the Romans. Everything is going wrong. We need a savior. And here he is. Here he is. But Jesus sees that they're trying to make him king by force. And he leaves. But he is the Messiah. So why does he, why does he leave? Well, the story grows on. So John 6 starts with the feeding of the 5,000. Then Jesus walks on water to, uh, over the lake. Quite a famous story. Also about trusting Jesus. Don't have time to go into that now. We get to the other side of the lake. And Jesus is there with his disciples. And the crowd go, oh, Jesus is gone. And so they walk around to the other side of the lake and they find Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, why did you go? And Jesus very sassily replies to them, you just want more bread. If you knew really what you wanted, you'd ask for bread that lasted forever. And the crowd go, yeah, I want bread that lasts forever. Give me that. And Jesus goes, it's me. I'm the bread that lasts forever. I am the bread of life. What you want is me. And the crowd go, well, if that's true, what sign will you show us that that could be true? Like, the blind can see, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear, people are raised from the dead. The astounding miracles that Jesus performed over, over the last like, amount of time before this passage happens, and the crowd still go, yeah, but if you were really the Messiah, you'd show us a few signs. Like, these fickle people. But actually, Jesus is like... Jesus sees it. He susses them out. He's like, you, this, you just want more bread. You, just, you only like me when I'm doing what you want. You only want me because you want me as your court salt of king. And actually, I'm a bit like that too. Because when I think on the world and I think about the problems the world has and I'm like, God, do something, it's my political agenda I want him to put in place. It's my political party I want to win elections. It's my, my agenda that I want God to enforce. I'm not really trusting him with this. And in verse 66 of John 6, we read that, that, is, that actually the idea that Jesus is what you need, the idea that to, to, to give your life to Jesus, that's what it costs. In another part of the scripture, um, 
Jesus says, to follow me is to, to give up your life, take up your cross, and follow me. And the crowd go, that's too much. And so in verse 66, we, we read that many left. They went home. It was too tough. So do we trust him? Are we like the crowd? Do we, we like it when things go our way, but when things stop going our way, we're suddenly like, oh, it's, it's too much. I can't, I can't do that. What about the apostles? Surely they trust Jesus. And they do. They do trust Jesus. And, and after the many have left, Jesus turns to the apostles and goes, what about you? Will you leave as well? And Simon Peter beautifully replies, where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So they do trust Jesus. And in one of the other accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, in Luke's account, we hear that the disciples have all been out on mission before this takes place. Jesus empowered the 12 to go out and, and cast out demons and to, raise the, and to heal the sick and to go and proclaim the good news. And they've come back and they are full of these great stories of what God has done. And they're really encouraged and really excited. And Jesus is like, that's fantastic. That's great. Brilliant. All right, lads, there's 5,000 people here, probably more than 5,000 people here, who need food. Off you go. And they go, nah, too much. I did my undergrad degree uh, in Aberystwyth, and I was part of a great church in Aberystwyth. Um, and we, there was one family service we did where uh, we were uh, talking about this passage, about the feeding of the 5,000. And the speaker at the front invited us to uh, share with our neighbor, what's your favorite story about Jesus? Or what's your favorite story that Jesus told? And uh, I, I shared with my neighbor, my favorite is the, um, the parable of the prodigal son. I find it's a really powerful passage and really speaks to me. And, uh, the, and we chatted about that for a bit. And then uh, I asked my neighbor, what, what about you? And he said, actually, well, I really like this story. Feeding the 5,000 is really one of mine. Although it's not true, is it? I had literally no idea what to say to that. But just like my friend there, the apostles have put God in a box. They have said, God can do this much, but he can't do that. There is a limit to what God can do. Jen spoke about it a few weeks ago when talking about Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus has also put God in a box. He's said what God can and can't do. Stephen who was one of the first, uh, well, the first followers of Jesus, uh, the, the actual, the first Christian martyr, the first person who died because of be, uh, following Jesus. Uh, he, he, he said these words. However, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all things? We can't keep God in a box. He's, he's uncontainable. He's bigger than that. As C.S. Lewis writes when he's talking about Aslan and the Narnia books, he is not a tame lion. You cannot contain him. And, and through my, uh, my, my life as a Christian, I have had some box-shattering moments. 
because you know, I have those times in my life where I believed it was uh, Father, Son, and Holy Book, and there was nothing else. And God has shattered that book, on, uh, shattered that box on many occasions, and taught me that to trust God is to not put Him and so He can't do this. Is our trust for Jesus like that? Do we trust Him up to a point? Do we say, Jesus, you have my whole life, but not my rent? I can't trust you with that. Or the food on my table, I can't trust you with that. Is there a point where where our trust in Jesus stops? Is that where we're at? And lastly, we have the boy. The boy trusts Jesus. Let's be clear, this is a kid's lunchbox. Out of 5,000 plus people, there was one organized mum who packed this kid's lunch. <laughs> but it's, it's tiny, right? So I read about this. It, the, the fish are sardines. They're not haddock. And the, uh, the bread are these tiny little barley loaves that apparently they ate. Um, this like thick, like dense, quite filling, but very small. It's a kid's lunchbox. But he gives it to Jesus. He's like, well, I don't have much, but... I have a little. And I was speaking to my mum uh, on the phone just before this gathering, and she was telling me different things to, to add in. And one of the things that she said, uh, which was, I thought was spot on, is actually that she, uh, the boy, that Andrew finds this boy and brings him to Jesus. And actually, everybody has a part to play. Nobody's left out. Everyone is important. Everyone is important in this. Tom Wright, one of my favorite theologians, writes about this. The point is obvious, but we perhaps need to be reminded of it. So often we ourselves have no idea what to do, but the starting point is always to bring what there is to the attention of Jesus. Do we ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like what you have is not worth God's attention? Maybe you feel like, I'm not good at speaking. I don't know the Bible. I'm not a very good Christian. I don't pray enough. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, tithe at all. I'm, I never say grace. I, I, I don't have any gifts. I'm not very clever. I'm not very athletic. I, I'm, not very, I'm not good at anything. There's nothing that I have that Jesus could want. That is a lie. That is not true. Because Jesus believes that you are of infinite importance. He went through everything for you. Given the choice between remaining in heaven and coming to earth and dying for you, he chose that so that you may know how loved you are by him, how insanely important you are to him, how infinitely important to him, that there are no words to describe how loved you are by Jesus. Though you may not have much, Jesus says, I love you. You are so, so important to me. And yes, you're right. You might just have not very much. And this kid's lunchbox, it isn't very much. But he gives it to Jesus anyway. And what does Jesus do with it? He feeds thousands. It's, and we note that there are 5,000 men. That probably means there are many multitudes more. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands are fed from this tiny little bit. 
so much so that it overflows. There are 12 full baskets of food left over at the end. Take take the little that you have and bring it to Jesus and see him bless it. Another theologian, William Barclay, writes this. Jesus needs what we can bring him. It may not be much, but he needs it. It may well be that the world is denied miracle after miracle and triumph after triumph because we will not bring to Jesus what we have and what we are. If we would lay ourselves at the altar of his service, there is no saying what he could do with us and through us. We may be sorry and embarrassed that we don't have more to bring, but that's no reason for failing to bring what we have. Little is always much in the hands of Christ. Little is always much in the hands of Christ. So what now? Do I trust him? Do I trust him at all with any part of my life? Do I only trust him when times are good or do I trust him wholeheartedly? Do I trust him with most of my life but there's something I just cannot trust him with? Do I trust him like that? Or do I, though I don't have much, though I don't feel like I have anything to bring, I'm going to trust Jesus with it. I'm going to give it to God and see what he does with it. And that costs, that costs us that little lunchbox. That boy has nothing else to eat now. He has given his lunch to Jesus. Do we trust him like that? In a minute, uh, we're going to share communion together and John's going to lead us in that. But communion is a Passover meal. Just like John drew our attention that this, the feeding of the 5,000 is is like Passover, so is communion. Jesus was at at dinner, a Passover meal with his friends. And remember Jesus' words, I am the bread of life. What Jesus is saying is you don't need bread, you need Jesus. You don't need this, you don't need the, the, the bread as a symbol of God's, of Christ's body. It's Jesus you need, not the bread. And so what I'd love everyone to do, when you come up to receive communion, before you uh, come and uh, take some bread, I want you to pray a prayer as you stand and as you're waiting. And the prayer is, and you can either say it in your head or whisper it, but say this, Jesus, I need you. And maybe whisper it, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Say it over and over again and see, if, and, and see what God does through that repetition. Say it, Jesus, I need you. And as you take that bread, remember that it's Jesus, the bread of life, that you are latching onto. Jesus, I need you. Let's do communion. Wonderful. Thank you.